Okay, excellent question. So mental health is really the health of your brain, but just not in terms of the nervous, the nerve function. Before you leave the church, I, I do want to mention um, that's also a complex thing because uh, for many years, people have preached, you know, uh, if, if you're feeling down or depressed, you just need to pray more. I think we're understanding more that some completed suicides were not identified as so. So some overdoses are means of completing suicide. And the same thing as I work with medical students and residents to train them to be able to do the same as they go forward in their profession. So that's what keeps me grounded. Hello, welcome to Gray Colleague Podcast, the Inner Circle. This is a podcast where we have ordinary people living extraordinary lives. They're here to share their stories with you. Today, we are most excited to have Dr. Williamson. All right. So, uh, Dr. Loyola Williamson is a professor and chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Meharry Medical College. She obtained her BS in Natural Sciences from Oakwood University and her MD degree from Meharry. She completed psychiatry and child psychiatry training at Emory University and is board certified in both specialties. She is a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. Dr. Williamson has provided clinical services in private practice, community mental health and academic centers, and has taught trainees in multiple disciplines. Her practice approach is holistic Dr. Williamson's presentations in community and academic settings include topics regarding spirituality, cultural psychiatry, and telepsychiatry. So with that, Dr. Williamson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It is indeed a pleasure to be here with you. Um, we've been talking about this for a few weeks, and to see it finally happen, I'm just pleased and honored to have been asked to participate. Wonderful, wonderful. So we're going to talk uh, primarily about mental health because it's such a big, you know, concerning topic in Absolutely. our society today. But before yeah. we get into that, let's start in the beginning in terms of how you got into mental health. Tell, tell us a bit of your background, how you grew up and your interest, how your interest developed into uh, wanting to pursue a, a career in psychiatry. Sure, sure. Um, well, I can tell you that I had a early introduction to psychiatry in that my father was a psychiatrist. And so as I grew up here in Nashville, I was born in Los Angeles, California, but grew up in Nashville, Tennessee um, from early grade school on. Um, I saw my father interact in various ways in the community and academics, private practice, working in the VA. And he also um, took his work and his, tra his training and involved presentations in the community, at churches, and he and my mother, who before he passed had been married over 55 years, they did marriage seminars. So I grew up hearing about mental health and psychiatric illness, but you know, when I decided to go to medical school and was accepted to Meharry, I said I was gonna keep an open mind, even though I was interested in psychiatry. So 
was interested in pediatrics, was interested in family medicine, but ultimately psychiatry won me over. And I think one of the reasons is that um, I like the aspect of not just being a physician that treats illness, but really works on prevention and early intervention. And that's what really drew me to child psychiatry. So I have the opportunity to work with adults, adolescents, children, and their families, and really have always been involved in the community just as my father had been. Sure, sure. So curious, as a child, um, I think back about my, my childhood and watching my father and, mm-hmm. and as he pursued his profession or practiced his profession, were there times when he was um, serving the community or working in practice where you kind of scratch your head and wonder, like, what is this exactly? And then if you did, when did you discover the... the, the um, when did you learn to appreciate what he does and, and his practice? Um, you know, that's a question I never really thought of. I, I think because um, we went along with him, so particularly to presentations at churches, whether it's about different psychiatric disorders or substance use disorders, I can remember a poster that had little pictures of what marijuana looked like and different pills and of, of abuse and cocaine. And uh, I can just remember he always presented it in a way that lay people understood. So it was something that I understood as well. Um, and I guess one of the things that always made me curious was that um, why isn't everybody paying attention to this? This seems to be so important. And even in medical school to have a shorter rotation um, or for people to um, shorter rotation in psychiatry to pick compared to other specialties or people saying, well, you know, why don't you want to be a real doctor? You know, those sorts of things just made me understand. No, no, we actually deal very comprehensively and can relate to all specialties, whether it's surgery, OBGYN, um, even pathology that, um, so it actually pushed me more into that direction. So it, it's something that always made sense to me. And it's curious as to why our society still, even now with all the problems that we're experiencing, don't really see the value and put our emphasis and finance toward mental health. Yeah. So it sounds based on what you shared, you were fortunate at uh, a very young, young age, it sounds like, you were exposed to this. So there was never an opportunity of, or uh, curiosity of uh, what is this he's talking about or why does this matter? It was just kind of ingrained in your upbringing as you went with him to these different presentations in the community, which is great, right? Because think about the advantage you have over, over most, right? Yeah, awesome, awesome. So I'll pass over to Smiley here. Yeah. What I was wondering is, is when you look at the mental health in uh between men and women, and then from black men to other cultures. I'm, I'm wondering, but I, I see with a uh, deduction, I, I'm not trained at all, but I see women, they, they speak a lot. They, they talk a lot and share all their ideas, their emotions or whatever. Whereas men, we're, we, we, we keep things close chest. So you find that the numbers to, to show that men have more mental concerns because they don't release and share or it doesn't really 
Well, I, I think what happens, we do know definitely in terms of the differences between men and women, that women seek treatment more often than men. But men are still experiencing mental health issues and struggles and illnesses. And many times, if it's not addressed, it comes out in other ways. Um, so men may not necessarily complain of feeling sad or depressed, but you might have a change in terms of their mood, irritability, anger. Um, and sometimes that can be displayed um, in physical illnesses in terms of the stressors, migraine headaches, heart attacks, um, and chronic stress. I think um, we're still trying to understand more about how it impacts our immune system, but I think it definitely impacts our immune system. And, and I, I watched your YouTube videos when you're talking about the advent of COVID and how that has an impact. So circling back just a little bit, do you find that mental health issue for the black community, for men, normal on par with the numbers or is it excessive or higher than the norm? And Yes, so I think our, our research has shown us that it is definitely impacting men and women in the black community and people of color in greater ways. And there's so many different reasons for that. So um, the stigma, and individuals of color, black people not seeking care and, at all, or when they seek care, it's more at end stage when things are more severe or um, just lack of access to general medical care and also lack of access to uh, mental health care. And then being in, sometimes being in a community where family, church, or other community and individuals um, don't understand and don't support and will say things like, oh, you just don't have enough faith or believe in God, or you're, that's a weakness, you need to pull yourself together, that's not who we are, that's not how we live. And so individuals are dealing with all of these and many sorts of things. And then we do know that racism and discrimination add so many more complex layers to that. Um, even when people have access, sometimes they may feel like, well, that person isn't black, so I'm not going to go to a black psychiatrist, someone who's not a black psychiatrist or psychologist or mental health professional, because they won't understand what I'm going through. Um, but really, that's a disservice, because if things are really serious and impacting your work, uh, your interpersonal life, even your social life, it's really good to go and seek help where you have access to help. Makes sense, makes sense. So when I think about physical health, that's something that I've been aware of, of probably since I was a teen, right? In terms of how to, it's important to be active. It's important to exercise and, and the impact, the negative impact on my uh, body if I don't do these things. So physical health, I think all of us, especially men, have a pretty decent awareness in terms of what it is and what things we need to do. We don't always do it, which to, to your point you made earlier in terms of, you know, taking care of ourselves, but mental health, mental health. How would you expa explain what mental health is to a layman and the significance of effectively managing it, the importance of effectively managing mental health? Okay, excellent question. So mental health is really 
the health of your brain, but just not in terms of the nervous, the nerve function, but more so in terms of how we think, how we act, and how we feel. So our mental health determines how we handle stressors, how we interact with the others, develop relationships, make choices. And so we make choices from being little children, toddlers, even all the way through up um, to our older population. So mental health is important throughout all of our lives. Um, the challenge is, is that our mental health is not just determined by one factor. Um, there are, uh, can be genetic factors. So certain mental health disorders or illnesses may run in families and may have some genetic component. Um, another factor is how we are approached to life, our own um, uh, personal personality or our approach to things. So do we tend to be individuals that look at a glass as being half full or half empty? So I, I'm sure that you all can imagine or have had some experience of people who are talking very negatively and pessimistic. And it doesn't matter what you say, they've got a way to undo how they can make some improvements. So that makes a difference. And then life experiences, um, how you've grown up in your family, the community in which you've lived, um, uh, it, whether or not you've experienced trauma or abuse. And then of course, because our brains are a part of the rest of our body, if we have other medical problems, so diabetes, um, cancer, uh, hypertension, all of these can be a part of our mental health. Makes sense. So it sounds like, um, I, I, do, I do have one comment uh, about the glass half full, half empty, and I'll let, I'll let Smiley talk about that in a second. But so it sounds like, like our physical health, our mental health is impacted by external and internal forces. Like I said, genetics, genetics, environment, things like that. And it sounds like it's also cyclical, meaning that your mental health, your state of being can impact your physical health and your physical health can also impact your mental health. Um, so it's important that those are managed kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, um, with, a, with, with a bit of synergy, for lack of a better word. Is that, is that fair to say? Did I capture that correctly? That is fair to say. And I think another layer is that, of course, we're all born with individual um, medical complex genetic uh, predispositions. And so sometimes somebody may have childhood onset diabetes and another person may get adult onset diabetes. So just because you have diabetes doesn't mean you have to be in poor health. It's how you manage the diabetes. Likewise, just because you may have a family history of anxiety or depression or perhaps had an early onset trauma doesn't necessarily mean that your mental health has to be poor. You can learn some coping skills and strategies and have some supports um, in terms of the way you eat, sleep, physical activity, all these different factors that can make a difference in your mental health state, even if you have a, an acute or chronic mental illness. Okay. So the next uh, uh, obvious question, I'll pass it over to Smiley here. So all my life, since I was a teen, I've often heard, Dre, man, you crazy. 
you're so crazy. And so, you know, those that love and care about me say that jokingly, obviously. But how do I know? How can a person kind of assess their mental state? Not not to say that whether or not they're crazy. That that that's that's beyond you know the scope of an individual to do. It takes a professional like yourself to make that assessment. And I don't want to use that word crazy because that's not the that's not the appropriate term. But so how can an individual assess their mental well-being themselves? And then also adding to that, if I wanted to check in on my buddy, my guy, Smiley, what's a good way to assess that without, you know, in, in a way where it's, you know, it's, it's, it's done with care? Excellent question. So I think the first thing is in terms of ourselves, having some self-awareness, all right? So thinking about, physically, self-awareness. So you have an idea of paying attention to signs and symptoms of fatigue. So waking up continually in the morning, feeling very tired, body aching, in spite of the fact that you're getting eight or nine hours of sleep. That should tell you something. Or the fact that as you go day by day and you're working at your computer, all of a sudden, you're having a harder time seeing and the things are fuzzy. So you have some awareness that there's a shift from what should be normal. So the same thing is we need to have some awareness of what's going on with our emotional state, all right? When are we having harder times concentrating or remembering things or being observant as to when we're having developing part uh, pattern of irritability or feeling sad or crying for no reason or continually crying for um, extended reasons. So things like sleep, appetite, energy level, concentration, ability to tolerate stress, think through problems, feeling overwhelmed, um, having thoughts of not wanting to live, um, difficulty getting along with people, and those are extensive ex, uh, those experiences are having are occurring for a length of time they're causing intense problems and you're having a number of those symptoms all right so for example uh, we might all get depressed or feel sad um, if we lost a loved one and or you might get irritated if somebody cuts you off when you're driving on the road. If that is persisting for days or hours to the point, or weeks to the point that you can't concentrate, you're not sleeping well, um, you're arguing with your, your spouse or your children, that's causing impairment. So once it's causing impairment in social, academic, work, or relationships, then you start to think about, okay, something's going on longer than it should. Maybe I should talk to someone or get this checked out. Okay, makes sense. I want to kick it over to Smiley here, um, and and I, I, I'll, I'll try and do this do this uh, segue here. Earlier, we mentioned some people have a a uh, pessimistic approach. Some have an optimistic approach in terms of whether the cup or glass is half full 
or half empty. There's a third approach you probably uh, aren't, aren't familiar with. I wasn't until I met Smiley. I'll let him explain his, his, his perception of the glass. Yes, Dr. Williamson. When you said that, I smiled because I thought about it when I, when I told my perspective of the cup half full and empty. Okay. A, so in sales, we're trying to sell something that's a vision of tomorrow. So when I with my engineers, the, some people see the cup as half full, half empty. An engineer sees 50.023. But as a sales rep, I see three cups. I don't see one. I see things that aren't there because I'm seeing a better tomorrow than today. Okay, okay. So, so, so the question is, Dr. Williamson, is okay. he crazy? Am I crazy? <laughs> <laughs> You're not seeing one cup two different ways. You're seeing three different cups. So one is the future, one is the present. What's the third cup? The past? The past, yes. Okay. Ah. So he's actually seeing three dimensionally. Okay. 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 So it's a a different perspective. He's not. He's not. um, He's not losing it. Okay. Okay. I take back what I said, Smiley. I take back what I said. (laughs) I appreciate that. But one thing you said, and and it's prevalent in society, and and I'll I'll set it up for you is where when you hear about all of the suicides, especially when we look and see like Twitch, the person on on Ellen DeGeneres. So it's like everyone would love to have that job, to be a DJ on the world stage or or even like Master P's daughter to have wealth all your life. And and from the outside of us who are working during living normal lives and we say these people have everything and then they take them they kill themselves. So from a mental health perspective, are you finding that it's classism is it really it, it suicide straddles every socioeconomic it does. It does. is it is it de- genetic or is it mentally or our brain is prone towards that or yeah so i wouldn't say our brains are por- prone to that certainly everybody who commits suicide or has a suicide completion doesn't have the same range of factors all right sometimes people are dealing with chronic physical issues and they haven't shared that with anyone or they can have chronic um, stress in terms of coming out in depression or anxiety or a past trauma that keeps coming up. So they could have physical illness. They could have a psychiatric disorder. There could also be some acute problems or recent problems in terms of a financial crisis or legal problems. Um, financial problems, and sometimes financial problems are, isn't necessarily not enough money, but stress about what to do with your money or people talking to you about money and feeling overwhelmed about money. So there's lots of different reasons. But certainly there is a rise in suicidal thoughts and attempts, completions across all ages and across all ethnicities. It's more severe in the black community with the greatest recent increase in black women and then black men as well. So we don't understand all the factors. Um, And again, part of the issue is that a lot of the research that has happened over time has been with white men. 
and the factors leading to mental health and mental illness problems and psychiatric diagnoses may not all be the same factors that white men experience. So we have a long ways to go in terms of understanding these factors. But I think the crucial thing is we definitely need to pay more attention and understand that adolescence to early adulthood are a critical critical age at which these individuals are experiencing um, emotional stress and psychiatric illness um, in the form of anxiety and depression and perhaps leading to suicidal thoughts. As a, as a follow-up to that, because earlier you mentioned, um, I think you mentioned church and religion. And, and I just remember as a kid, uh, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, went to a Holiday Memorial AMZ Zion uh, Church. It was a mortal sin to kill yourself. It was just, it was, we weren't allowed to do that. It came from the church. Do you find that as our African-American representatives get more affluent, that they drift away from the church and therefore they they see that as an option? Because it just seems like, I don't remember, maybe because I was younger, but has it been, the numbers been the same from the 20s, 40s, 60s, 70s? Uh, from the Black perspective on a suicide, or do we find that as we get more education and affluence, we stray away from the church and maybe that's a reason why we take ourselves? Well, that's really a complex question. So um, I don't think we can pin it on that factor. I think Mm -hmm. there are multiple factors because individuals who have completed suicides have money or are impoverished. Um, I think we're understanding more that some completed suicides were not identified as so. So some overdoses are means of completing suicide. Sometimes um, when people are not coping well and they're feeling hopeless or helpless, getting into arguments or fights that are fatal or car accidents or you know drug overdoses, those may be completed suicides that we haven't fully paid attention to. Um, I do think, on the other hand, um, that even though we have many advances in society, so able to cook meals faster or purchase meals or have them delivered or working from home, there, there are lots of changes in our society, but all of those changes have not really led out to positive things. So, for example, um, parents, maybe more so now than 40, 50 years ago, two parents working outside of the home. Well, who's at home providing support for the children, being able to get homework done? Social media and having access to things on the internet. Well, if you're seeing images of perfection and they're not reflecting who you are as a black female or black male, sometimes negative self-esteem can be a part of that. And of course, we're still dealing with issues of colorism in the media, viewing individuals of darker complexion, different than lighter complexion. Um, Then there are more terrorist events. There's more news and tension in the news. Um, There's, um, in general, I think most of us get much less sleep than we need to. The increase of use of substances, drugs, alcohol, the opiate crisis out of control. Um, So all of these factors are inter, are intertwined 
throughout all levels of our socioeconomic class. So uh, you've shared a lot of things that are eye-opening for me. Uh, and, and one creates, uh, I don't want to say concern, but more awareness. The, the, the one eye-opening thing was you mentioned there's a higher rate of suicides in the Black community, which is shocking because I think all of us have heard someone say, um, oh, Black people don't do that. Something, something, happens, something else happened. You know, black people don't commit suicide. And so it sounds like that's not the case. Right. I mean, so like, the, numbers, the numbers are increasing. But in terms of the absolute numbers, since our population numbers are smaller, we don't have the greatest number. But in terms of relative okay. numbers of individuals gotcha. in our population, that's okay. increasing. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So that, 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 that's more, I guess, a little bit more settling because it kind of holds true what Generally speaking, and I think it's because of what Smiley said, the church, right? Generally speaking, you know, a lot of African-Americans, black people, you know, come up in the church and, you know, there's probably a, a number of different options that might have been considered before suicide. I, I, I'm thinking this is the story I tell in my head. The other thing you mentioned is adolescence. Before you leave the church, I, I do want to yeah. mention um, that's also a complex thing because uh, for many years, people have preached, you know, uh, if, if you're feeling down or depressed, you just need to pray more. You need more mm. faith in God. Um, and, you know, so not taking into account that there are medical reasons. Depression is a medical problem. It's just not a spiritual weakness. And so those sorts of negative messages in church can discourage people from seeking treatment. But at the same time, there's a lot of research that shows that from the hope that people gain in their faith, the, the community that they gain in terms of encouragement and fellowship, um, the positive messages and practices in terms of praying, um, reflecting and reading scripture, or religious materials, bringing a sense of calm and peace, the, the overwhelming majority have a sense of connectedness and receive some positive messages from their spiritual community. So it's not all negative, but it, sure. there's a mixed bag. And that's why it's important to understand the individual's view and view from their spiritual community, if they have one at all. Are they experiencing it positive or are they experiencing it negative? We can't make assumptions. We just have to also ask what they're going through. You know, it's interesting. We had uh, Dr. Damon Tweedy on our podcast, a uh, recent episode. It's, it's on the uh, channel now. He's the author of a book called uh, Black Man in a White Coat. And he's talked about the... Com the complexity of race and healthcare and how he discovered it on his journey to becoming uh, a physician. He's also, he's a physician and he also practices psychiatry. Um, at, 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 I think it's at Duke. And, and, and what you're sharing with me now just kind of reinforces what he said. There are so many different angles that come into play that race plays when it comes to healthcare. I mean, everything from, you know, how we're raised, to the impact church has on us, 
to how we're perceived when we come to seek care, to our resistance to seek care because of historical treatment, you know, or mistreatment in the past. Um, so with all that, tell, tell me, Dr. Williamson, what's your go-to mantra that keeps you pushing forward in your practice and, 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 and knowing that you're, you know, it's going to be a challenge because of all those things. Wow. That's excellent question. So I would say personally, my faith in God and my belief that he has given me opportunities and tools to be able to minister to people in my medical profession. So individuals might say, well, how can you be a how can you be a psychiatrist and hear all those negative stories over and over? What do you do to, 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 to be able to deal with it? And to be honest with you, I can actually um, manage and think through and work with a patient who's having suicidal thoughts or hearing voices that aren't real, hallucinations in a way that's better than, say, for example, working with a family with an infant who has a fever and we don't know what the origin is. And we're trying to do all sort of blood cultures and things like that. Because when I hear the symptoms and I've talked with them and heard their story and what's going on with them and understand their family history, their personal history, their current stressors, either at work or in their family, I'm start to formulate a plan as to what strengths they have and what challenges they have and putting together a treatment plan. So I know that there is a good chance that this person will respond to therapy and or medications. And I'll talk with them about making changes in their diet. So, you know, thinking about the importance of those five fruits and vegetables a day and not one is not um, French fries, right? <laughs> Wait, oh. what? <laughs> no, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But, you know, helping them understand that drinking a liter or two of Mountain Dew all day, that caffeine can impair their sleep and their overall function. Um, so putting together, and that's what I mean by a holistic treatment plan. So we're talking mm. about rest. We're talking about physical activity. We're talking about setting some limits on those negative relationships in your life going back to those people who keep putting you down and not valuing you as a person, that's a comprehensive treatment plan. And then talking with them as they're able to make changes step-by-step. Step. And I can see or anticipate in the future that a month from now, six months from now, or a year from now, I may not be able to fix everything as we talk with it, or we may not be able to as we work together but we can work on improving their mental health and try and get it to the best place possible. So it's my knowledge that I've trained in, but also understanding of my belief that God put me here for a purpose to work with each individual. And the same thing as I work with medical students and residents to train them to be able to do the same as they go forward in their profession. So that's what keeps me grounded. No, I awesome. I, I I was watching your YouTube clips and you talked about the the COVID crisis and the pandemic. Would you say I'm a numbers guy? I do data 
I sell software and we do data. But let's say from your career up until 2020, the assessments and treatments of different mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And now we're 2023 after the pandemic. Did you find that the pandemic, which is once in a hundred event, hundred year event, you had to course correct your or assessment as it pertained to adults because they talk about the kids and they missed two years of school and had to do the virtual. But I'm curious about did you have to readjust your practices and your learning because we had a worldwide event that's never happened in my lifetime, our lifetime. Right. And it's still not over, right? Um, We don't hear about it, but people are still getting COVID. People are still getting sick. They're not dying at the rates when the, the pandemic still started. But yes, even adults are, you know, sandwiched between taking care of their their aging parents, trying to assist their young adult children, going through college, trying to get out and start work. We know that many young adults are moving back home. What does that mean for the whole family dynamic? Um, Some people are just having a more difficult time. Uh, Some people had a more difficult time coming back after they'd been working virtually for a long period of time. Um, So there's what it means is we're still looking at the social factors, but we're having to think about what sort of challenges are you having regarding work or home or your relationships and how are you coping in a way that differed before the pandemic. And as a follow-up, do you find, and this could be just with your practice, say in a family situation, do you look at one representative or do you treat the whole family as a unit? Because some of us have generational concerns. Maybe we were five years alcoholism in the family or abusive men in the family, but you're the one trying to break those cycles that get passed down. Do you treat families or is it individuals that you treat? Yeah. So in terms of my own practice, I don't treat families, but it depends on really what the individual is looking for. If they're coming and they're reporting specific problems with relationships or specific problems in terms of coping with work, we may just focus on that issue. But if they're saying, you know, well, we've talked about this, but I realize this is also impacting my marriage or the way that I'm raising my children then we may go back and reflect more about, you know, what happened in your own family in which you grew up and the relationships and, and how did you relate to your father or your mother? And how is that playing out in relationships in your current work situation? So um, you really have to be patient centered and see what they are focused on. But certainly There are um, individuals that um, I've recommended they have family therapy or they've asked about family therapy or couples therapy, and those can be beneficial to them as well. As a last follow-up before I turn it over to Andre, um, it's a little different, but the advent of Ancestry.com, 23, finding their long-lost family members, biological fathers, or people that didn't exist. Do you find that there's people, representatives coming to your firm seeking some guidance on how to, you just found a father or you just found a brother you never had or you didn't even know, but he popped up on your ancestry. Are there services for that or is it considered one? 
Yeah, so I wouldn't, I haven't personally had people um, connect with me for treatment about those issues. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, happens or how that develops in the future. Um, sometimes those things may come up as we talk about different family histories and they mentioned they found their father or, or after not growing up with a parent, they connected with them at some point later and they're trying to understand how to deal with the anger or depression or resentment or low self-esteem regarding those issues. But um, I think those are, those are all valid issues and the reasons why people might seek treatment. So let me ask you this, and we're going to do our final four in a second. Two quick questions for you. One, if you weren't doing what you're doing today, working as a psychiatrist, what alternate career would you have? Wow. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think I can give two answers. So um, sure. having grown up in a family where, you know, my father was a physician, my mother is actually a retired nurse. Uh, I think it was likely that I would have uh, chosen a profession in the medical field or perhaps um, some sort of biological research or things like that. Um, but then I also do enjoy some more creative things in terms of, um, you know, crafts and sewing and art and laid, okay. you know, lately I, I like to, my therapy is digging out in the dirt. So I don't know that I would have done that a, as a profession, but a, a major serious hobby, but more than likely awesome. I would have done something in academics or research. Sure, sure. It makes sense. And then one more question before I pass it over to uh, Smiley here to start the final four. What's one question that we didn't ask you that we should have asked you? Um, the one question you didn't ask me, I think, is to really help people. Well, the question is, what can we do to get people to seek mental health treatment more? Mm. And yeah. I would say to really understand that your brain is an organ, just like your heart, just like your stomach. And um, we, we, we need our brains to make all the decisions. So we pay a lot of attention to the shoes we buy and the clothes we wear and the cars we drive. But the thing that really helps us make that decision is our brain and taking good care of our brain and doing the best we can with whatever resources we have is really important. So going to the dentist preventively, get those teeth clean so you don't have cavities and have those teeth pulled, do something preventive to take care of your mental health. So um, make sure you have great social connections, make sure you take time to get adequate sleep, um, physical activity, eating, drinking water. A lot of times we overeat when we're actually thirsty, we're dehydrated and we're feeling anxious and irritable. And then if things, talking to your best friend, talking to your spouse, talking to your spiritual leader, advisor is not helpful and you're still experiencing problems, get professional help because paying attention to your mental health can save your life. And thank you for sharing that. Um, so as a, as a final four question, anyone alive or dead, who would you want to have dinner with? There's four chairs at the table, you're in one. 
Who would the other three representatives be and why? Hmm. Um, I'd like to have Harriet Tubman. Ooh. Uh, you know, she just had unbelievable grit, perseverance to be able to, you know, do what she did in terms of um, saving people and helping them escape slavery. So that would be one person. And you said throughout history? Anyone, anyone alive dead or, or alive. Dead or alive. Who would you want to have at your dinner table and why? Um, I would say Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. Just um, with her background, I and mean, I've begun to read some of her book and her ancestry and and how she and President Obama came together and what it was like to be the first Black family in the White House and, and the things that she had to do in terms of her own personal changes for her career and raising children as a professional woman and bringing in her mother, just the whole aspect I would love. And mm-hmm. then I just have to say Jesus Christ, you know, you the ultimate, um, our example, but not just my savior, but just trying to understand his mindset and how he dealt with everything that he had to deal with on earth. Um, th- those would be the, the thing, the individuals. The, 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 Cool part is we had another doctor on about two or three weeks ago, and this doctor also had Jesus Christ, but he had Jesus Christ, Jimi Hendrix, and Albert Einstein. So, oh, so Jesus, that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> we're track is Jesus and Michelle Obama are the ones who are selected the most. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Next question: Thinking back uh, over your life to date. Professionally or personally, what's been your greatest success? My greatest success, I believe, is um, my greatest success is being able to be a mom and a wife and Mm. do the work that I do. Mm. Um, You know, because I, I know a lot of people who have um, done a lot of things, publications, written papers, research and everything, um, and maybe not have an intact family. And I I get joy from um, being a wife and a mother, and I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. And they inspire me to do the things that I do in terms of my profession. So I, I would say that would be my greatest accomplishment. Awesome. The next question is, as a doctor, a wife, a mother, what is your greatest, what is your superpower? Something that's uniquely you, that's God has given you the best talent of anyone as your superpower. Wow, wow. Um, hmm. I think my superpower is my ability to motivate people and mentor people. Um, I've had a lot of informal mentoring and I have formal mentoring as well. 
And, you know, one of the things I really enjoy being in my position as chair of the department here is I get to mentor medical students. I get to mentor psychiatry residents. I'm mentoring my early career faculty. I'm mentoring um, clinical people, nurses and therapists and other places. But I also have the have connections with friends and family who say, hey, this person is trying to get into medical school or uh, can you give them a conversation? Or I'm actually meeting with um, this week, uh, another group, uh, uh, psychiatry interest, interest group, students at another institution who want to talk to uh, a black female psychiatrist who's in my position. So I think, yeah, my ability to do that um, is my superpower. And and then also mentor people in my community. So I talk with youth, I talk with young adults in my church, in my community. So it's mentoring everywhere because of what other people have poured into me and what God has given me. Great, great. Let's say I had a uh, blank check, I get, write a check for you to you for $7.5 million. And all you have to do is write your autobiography. What would the title be? Oh, um, wow. Um, hmm. I would say it would have to be something like, let me see, let me see. A hope was poured into me and I'm pouring and I'm passing it on. Something like that. I like it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> awesome. So when do I pick up the check? <laughs> when I get the book. pays <laughs> in Bitcoin. All right, all right. So it's going to be a children's book, 10 pages, and I'll have it done for the end of this book. I, I see a, uh, you're a negotiator, I see. You got, you got many, many skills there. You're not that's just a right, doctor, you're a negotiator. Right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We really yeah. appreciate you taking your time to speak with us and share your amazingness with all of our listeners and it's been very informative i was taking copious notes with while you were speaking and and thanks again for sharing your your amazing life and your amazing experiences with our audience you know it took a little while for us to pull this off like you mentioned in the beginning i'm so glad that both you and i took the time to keep pressing on trying to make it happen now that it's happened, um, as, as, as Smiley just said, it, it, it was a great, great interview. Well, I thank you for this podcast. Um, I consider myself just one who's um, taken, taken advantage of opportunities that God prepared me for and that God is strengthening me. And so I consider this another opportunity. And I'd love to connect you with you all again at some time in the future. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.